can be seated. Pastor Tim decided that we would preach through the parables this summer. And uh, when he did that, he decided, I, I think his thinking was something like this. Well, it's summertime, a little slower pace, people are traveling, traveling. These sermons don't necessarily build on each other. Let's do Jesus' parables. But what he was really saying in saying that is, ah, this will be easy. Well, let me just tell you something. Having worked through the parables, not only preaching them, but hearing them preach this summer, you probably feel similar, hopefully, that I do. That anytime Pastor Tim comes to you and says, Hey, I've got an easy task I want your help with. Run the other way. Because these parables have been nothing but easy. And he mentioned that even early on in our series, where he acknowledged the fact that just when you think you've got it, you don't. That's why we entitled, and he entitled the series, Twist, right? Because these parables have been having the same effect ever since Jesus first spoke them. Right? And I'm indebted uh, to a, a pastor named John Lynn for helping me kind of formulate my thinking about this sermon, but also pointing out something regarding parables. And he points to one Christian author who says this about Jesus' parables. He said that it was, the parables are one of Jesus' favorite forms of speech. And it was subversive. Listen to this. He says, Parables sound absolutely ordinary. Casual stories about soil and seeds, bandits and victims, farmers and merchants. And as people heard Jesus tell these stories... They saw at once that they weren't about God, so there was nothing to, to threaten them. So they relaxed their defenses. They would walk away perplexed, wondering what they meant. And yet these stories lodged in their imagination. And then, like a time bomb, they would explode into their unprotected hearts. An abyss opened up at their very feet. He was talking about God, and they had been invaded. How true that is about the parables. And this morning as we close out our series, our summer series on Jesus' parables, we're looking at one final parable, the parable of the wheat and the weeds. Maybe you know it as the wheat and the tares. And Jesus identifies his followers. He identifies us as his followers as wheat, the good crop. And yet, there are weeds among the wheat. And so the question that we're going to be asking this morning is, how do we live as wheat with weeds among us? How do we live as wheat with weeds among us? And if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me this morning to Matthew chapter 13. 
We'll be looking at verses 24 to 30. Uh, If not, you can follow along on the screen. But hear God's word this morning. And he, being Jesus, put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, the enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat among, along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. This ends the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we pray that once again you would open our minds and our hearts to your word, that we would not walk away unchanged, but that you would move and change our lives and our hearts this morning. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. And so the passage we just read, uh, Jesus is issuing a different kind of warning. And I say that it's a different kind of warning because it's not this Overt warning, warning, warning that happens when you set off the church alarm here at First Presbyterian Church. Maybe you've done that. Maybe you've heard that. But it scares you to death. Warning, warning, warning. Well, it is a warning, but it's more subtle warning than that this morning. It's almost more of an acknowledgement. And really an acknowledgement of what you and I already know and experience. And that is the reality of living as children of God's kingdom. And yet we're constantly faced with and surrounded by the presence of sin and evil. We're living as wheat with weeds among us. And as we'll see, Jesus is warning us not only about the presence of evil, but what Jesus is doing this morning, he's calling us to be patient and to be hopeful as we await his return. And so there are three things that I want us to look at in our passage this morning. The presence of weeds, the patience of the farmer, and the promise of the harvest. The presence of the weeds, the patience of the farmer, and the promise of the harvest. First, the presence of the weeds. If you look at the passage, the farmer goes out and he plants Seed, and it says not just any seed, but good seed, verse 24 tells us. And then night falls, right? And while everyone is asleep, the enemy comes, and the enemy sows weeds among the wheat. And this weed that, that we're talking about here is likely a plant called bearded darnel. And you say, what is that? Well, honestly, I don't know what it is either. But here's what I do know about it, is that it's a weed, and it looks a whole, whole lot like wheat, Right, And so, in fact, it looked so much like wheat that it was only when the plant matured and formed a head on it that you would actually be able to tell the difference. And these plants would go not just side by side, but together for weeks and weeks and weeks until they reached maturity. And it was only then 
really after it was too late to do anything about it, that you could tell the difference. And so if you look at the parable, it becomes clear that all is not well in the wheat field. And the servants see this. And Scripture tells us that they go to the master in verse 27 and they say, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And if you look, the master has a very clear answer. And what does he say? He said to them, an enemy has done this. You see, the farmer knows immediately what's happened. That the enemy has come. That the enemy has done this. And what is Jesus saying? I think the beauty of this passage is that Jesus actually explains this parable later on in verses 36 to 43 when he's talking privately to his disciples. And this is what he says there. He says, The one who sows this good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. The good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the son of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. And so Jesus here is the farmer who has sowed good seed, but the farmer has an enemy. And Jesus acknowledges that. and He, he puts a name to that, and he says, Satan is the enemy. Satan who is alive. Satan who is active, planting weeds and sin and evil into the world. And so what Jesus is doing here is not just pointing to the obvious, but by highlighting the presence of the weeds, he's bringing up and addressing one of the age-old questions of the world, right? Why do we have evil? It's the question of existence of evil. And Christian apologist Ravi Zacharias is a gentleman who's dealt extensively about this issue, the problem of pain, the suffering, the problem of evil in the world. And this is what he says. He says, a common objection to the existence of God goes something like this. There cannot be a God because there is too much evil in the world. Maybe you've thought that before. Maybe you're here this morning and that's something you're wrestling with currently. I love what Ravi Zacharias goes on to say. He says, here's what he says. He says, here's the problem with that objection. That when you say there's too much evil in the world, you assume there's good. And when you assume there's good, you assume there's such a thing as a moral law on the basis of which to differentiate between good and evil. But if you assume a moral law, then you must posit a moral law giver. But that's who you're trying to disprove and not prove. Because if there's no moral law giver, then there's no moral law. And if there's no moral law, then there's no good. And if there's no good, then there's no evil. You see, the wheat and the weeds are both competing for sunlight and soil and nutrients and water. And Jesus is acknowledging the struggle of living in the midst of evil. And so some of you, again, this this resonates. How can a good God allow bad things to happen? And maybe there's others of you here this morning that maybe you've never necessarily doubted the existence of God, <clears throat> excuse me, but his seemingly silent response to, to the problems and the pain in both your personal life and in the world has caused you to wrestle over this question, why God? But why? Why all the pain? Why all the hurt? Why all the sadness? And oftentimes we aren't given 
that answer, at least in the way that we want that answer to be. Certainly we're not given that answer this morning in our passage, but while Jesus is not necessarily answering the question, the why question behind evil, we see that he is clearly acknowledging that not only does evil exist, but it's something that we as followers of Christ have to coexist with. And again, that may seem obvious, but there's something comforting in Jesus acknowledging this, that yes, I know, that yes, I'm aware, that yes, I'm in control. It's kind of like uh, when, when my wife Kelly and I first started dating, we were dating for a little bit, and then there was a season where we broke up. And I remember that season very, very well. I can tell you when it was. It was an Easter Sunday morning. And I remember that <clears throat> because what did I do when I was devastated? Well, I did the only thing that a 23-year-old young man knows to do when his heart is broken and he is devastated. I called my mother. I called my mom. And I told her I was devastated. And the heart was broken. And I, why did I call? I didn't call her because she could, she could fix it right away. But there was something powerful about the fact that she was just acknowledging the fact that this is hard. That I understand what you're going through. And this is hard. Maybe it's happened to you before in the workplace. You're, you're, you're facing a task or a struggle that's really frustrating. And it's roadblock after roadblock after roadblock. You feel like you're not getting in, anywhere and then something, there's something very encouraging, maybe when your supervisor or your boss comes along and they just pat you on the back and they say, I know how hard this is. They're not necessarily fixing it right then, but just their sheer acknowledgement does something for you, some kind of encouragement. And Jesus' acknowledgement here serves not only as a warning, but it's comforting as well. Comforting over the fact that he is God, he is aware, and he is sovereign. And so how do we live as wheat with weeds among us? I think the first thing that we see is we live as people who are aware and taking comfort in God's sovereign control. God's control over both the good and the bad. Now in the previous parables, Jesus is showing how the kingdom of God is here and the kingdom of God is advancing. And so when we get to the parable of the weeds, the weeds, excuse me, no doubt some of the people that are hearing what Jesus is saying begin to wonder, well, if the kingdom is here, then why don't we have it right now? Like if it's here, let's have it all. Let's have it all right now. Bring on the kingdom. And what Jesus is saying here is that one day I will, but not yet. And we see that clearly in the second point. In the patience of the farmer. In verse 28, after the servants go to their master and they show him the damage that the enemy has done, they ask him, Master, do you want us to go out and, and gather up the weeds? The servants are ready for action. They're ready to take the field, to uproot the weeds. But look at how the farmer responds. He says, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat among them. You see, the farmer knows at this point that the roots of the weeds would be all entangled up in the roots of the wheat. So any effort to pull up 
the weeds is not only going to pull up the weeds, but will cause damage to the wheat. And if there's damage to the wheat, then guess what? The enemy wins. The farmer's no fool. He's patient. And he's focused on the wheat. And he waits. And if you look at verse 30, he says, Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. You see, the same way that the farmer's main concern is for the wheat, Jesus' main concern is for his followers. And thus he's patient. And if you think about first century Jews, right, they're under, under the rule of this Roman government. And it's an oppressing government. Right? In first century Judaism, what are they doing? They're waiting. They're waiting on what? They're waiting on the Messiah. And they thought that the Messiah would come as this military warrior king to, to annihilate the Romans and take back over uh, what, what is theirs and take over the world. And finally we will rule. Right? And so in, in walks Jesus and, and he starts speaking about the kingdom. And Jesus comes in and he starts saying, the kingdom is here. I'm ushered in the kingdom. And so obviously as people who are living in an oppressed culture and an oppressed society and waiting for redemption and waiting for military, a military coup, they're fired up. Right? The kingdom is here. Let's go. But what does Jesus say? He says, no, 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 you're missing it. Not yet. You must endure a little bit longer because that's not how my kingdom works. Be patient. You see, this parable has also been misinterpreted throughout the years because what Jesus is not saying, he's not saying, as some have thought, that the church should not seek to purify itself or practice church discipline. Jesus isn't saying that at all. It's clear from other passages in the Scripture in the New Testament, Matthew 18, that the visible church should seek to maintain its purity. But what he is saying is to be very careful how you do this, that it should be done in truth and in grace with the aim of restoring one to fellowship. And if you have to think, there's no doubt many zealous Christians over the years who have caused damage to their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ by passing judgment prematurely. Jesus isn't saying don't confront evil. We should. We should abhor sin and evil. What Jesus is saying is that things aren't always black and white. And especially when it comes to people. That sometimes the weeds are so entangled and, and so similar that you just cannot tell the two apart. It's not that simple. That's why in James 5, James says, You also be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. See, Jesus' words this morning are a reminder that in the midst of evil, in the midst of pain, oftentimes evil and pain done to us, that we're called to be patient. And they were called to trust in God's timing. How do we live as wheat with weeds among us? Patiently. Patiently as the farmer 
as Jesus has been patient with us. So I think what Jesus is communicating is be slow to pass judgment. Lest we forget that, but not for the grace of God, we too would be weeds. So I ask you this morning, how, how, how do we even do this? How do we go about even attempting to be patient? Patience is not my spiritual gift, I'll be honest. It's, I don't do well with the idea of being patient for anything. Um, and so how do we do it? How do we be patient? I think one of the ways is by remembering God's grace towards us. If you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, be reminded that you did nothing to earn your wheat status. And that the same grace and kindness that God has extended to you in your coming to know Christ, He is no doubt extending to others in His delay. He's giving people more time to repent, to turn from walking in sin and darkness and to become children of light. And the truth of the matter is, is that while there are clearly some who are wheat and some who are weeds, at the end of the day, evil and sin are present in all of us. And that's the only way for God to truly purge His creation of all evil is through His final judgment. Which leads us to our third point this morning, the promise of the harvest. If you look at verses 30, Jesus says, Let both grow together until the harvest, and at the harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first, bind them in bundles to be burned, but then gather the wheat into my barn. As we said earlier, Jesus tells us later in verses 39 that the harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are the angels. And so again, this passage is pointing to the second coming of Christ. I think what Jesus is communicating is clearly there's wheat and there's weeds. And he goes into detail later on about the fate of both. In verse 30, you hear that he's going to gather the weeds and bundle them to be burned. And if you go on into verses 36 through 43, Jesus goes into greater detail about the final judgment. And he promises painful judgment to those who reject him. I think he's using it as fear. He's using it just as a, a simple fact. And yet, likewise, we learn about the fate of the wheat. And he tells us in verse 36 that the wheat will be gathered into his barn. In verse 41, that then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. How do we live as wheat with weeds among us? It's to be aware of evil, but also God's sovereignty. To be patient with God's timeline and people around us. But I think the third thing we see is to live as people with hope. To be hopeful. Hopeful that the king will return. Hopeful that the king will gather us to himself. Just picture that image this morning being gathered together with God's people one day. And how much hope that can bring us today. Hopeful for the day that when evil and sin are completely eradicated. Hopeful when all pain and suffering 
and oppression shall cease. Hopeful that we will shine like the sun and reflect the glory of the Lord. Hopeful. Hopeful for what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, that for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. For now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Aware of evil, but trusting in God's sovereignty. Patient, as God has been patient with us. And hopeful for the return of our King. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we ask this morning that you would now, even in our hearts, and the quietness of our hearts, draw us to yourself. That you would carefully weed out that in us which does not belong, that you would purify us, that you would help us to hope in you, that you would help us to trust in your sovereignty, in your control, in your kingdom rule, both in our lives and in the world, that you would help us to be patient, patient with those around us, as you've been patient with us and hopeful not only for ourselves, but also for those who don't know you around us. That you might work in the hearts of our neighbors, both here and abroad. That they may come to know you as we know you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.